welcome to the first episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth, and this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast simply because we enjoy reading and talking about the worlds of Xenozoic Tales created by Mark Schultz. You're probably wondering a little about our title. Xenozoic is an obvious choice being part of the title of the series. And just to break down the word, Xeno is defined as something that is strange, different, or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time. So Xenozoic basically means strange era or strange age. And Xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. That word describes us because we're definitely interested in the foreign lands and cultures in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be more familiar with this series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, as it has occasionally been called. The original series, created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, started as a backup story in the pages of the anthology series Death Rattle No. 8 in 1986, and then ran under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 to 1996. All of those issues were published in black and white by Kitchen Sink Press. A loyal fan base grew up around the title, and it attracted some mainstream attention in the early and mid-90s. That led to the first six issues of the Black and White series being reprinted in color by Marvel's Epic Comics in the early 90s. For those reprints, they used the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. That was followed by three three-issue miniseries, also using the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, that were published by Topps Comics in the mid-1990s. Those issues from Topps were not written or illustrated by Mark Schultz. Instead, they were primarily written by Roy Thomas, working with various artists. There was also a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs computer game in the early 90s that we used to play at the time and was lots of fun. And there was an excellent Saturday morning animated series, again using the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, that ran for a single season of 13 episodes in 1993. It was quite a faithful adaptation of the comic, and we highly recommend it. While it hasn't been released on DVD, it is available from digital services like Amazon Video. There were even action figures and a toy Cadillac released to tie in with the animated series. It really isn't surprising that that alternate title became quite popular for a time, because it's a perfect shortcut to describe the series, which definitely features both Cadillacs and dinosaurs. However, because of the use of the word Cadillac, General Motors actually owns the rights to that title, so anytime you see anything published as Cadillacs and dinosaurs, the publisher actually has to license the use of the title from GM. Over the course of this podcast, we plan to focus initially on the 14 issues from Mark Schultz, after that, we'll probably cover the three miniseries from Tops and the animated show. And this is also an exciting time to be revisiting the series, because after 20 years, Mark Schultz is actually working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. So if you're interested in keeping up with what's ahead for the title, we encourage you to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for all of the latest news and information. If you don't have the series but want to pick it up, there are several options. The individual issues can be quite difficult to find, but there have been multiple trade paperback collections over the years. Some use the original Xenozoic Tales title, while others use the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs title. Most of these trade paperback collections are out of print, but you can usually find them online at reasonable prices. There is also a recent collection simply titled Xenozoic that contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's a really nice collection that we highly recommend, but there's just one piece of information you should know. 
Most issues of Xenozoic Tales feature a long story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz and a short story written by Mark Schultz but drawn by Steve Stiles. The Xenozoic Collection only contains the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It does not include the stories written by Mark Schultz but drawn by Steve Stiles. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's available on CD or digitally from both Amazon Music and iTunes. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Christensen that are inspired by the series, and it features album art by Mark Schultz. Before we move on with the first issue, we just want to say that we think the podcast will be more fun for everyone when we hear from you. We really enjoy sharing comments, so please write in and let us know what you think of the issues we cover or the podcast in general. We'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the episode. Also, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. With the addition of this podcast, we are now covering the trifecta of our three favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is vibrant and dynamic. So we hope you'll try out both Trekker Talk and Warlord Worlds as well. But for now, let's jump into our first issue. Xenozoic Tales, number one, February 1987. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Original cover colors, Peter Poplowski. Reprint edition, cover colors by Denise Prowl. Interior colors by Ray Fehrenbach, Michael Newell, and Randall Brandt. An Archipelago of Stone, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's the early 26th century. The world has undergone great geological upheavals, creating global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The dilapidated skyscrapers of a once great metropolis sit partially submerged underwater. To its current residents, it is known as the City in the Sea. A pteranodon flies overhead, and a man shoots at it from a rooftop to scare it away. Then he notices something in the water. There's a single sailing ship in the distance, coming from the south, and flying a flag from the city of Wasun. Word quickly spreads among the residents in the city and to the governor's office. Will the visitors be friends or foes? Could it be a great opportunity or the beginning of problems? A small group of men sit in a dark bar, whispering among themselves. They assume the coming visitors are hunting for them because they were poaching in the area and killed a Wasun patrol. They devise a plan to kill the visitors as they arrive in the harbor. The bartender overhears and tells another man to get a message to Cadillac. A motorboat leaves dock and races toward what looks like an abandoned factory on an island in the distance. But it is in fact the garage of Cadillac Jack Tenrick, one of the few individuals who has learned how to repair and operate some of the technology from a much earlier age. The informant finds Jack working on his signature Cadillac and tells him about the plan. The men involved are known poachers, including Wrench Terhune. Jack is familiar with the Terhune family and knows they're always trouble. But Jack wants to know why they didn't tell the governor. He's a mechanic and a guide, not a cop. But the reply is that he's objective and gets things done and is respected in the city. Jack sends word that he needs Hermes for backup, and then he leaves for the harbor. He knows there'll be a sniper in the skyscraper with the best view of the dock, and he begins to climb up the building. 
The Wasun ship arrives in the harbor, and a small boat disembarks, carrying four oarsmen and a beautiful woman. The woman steps onto the dock and is greeted by the governing council of the city in the sea. She introduces herself as Hannah Dundee, ambassador of the Wasun tribe of the Tidal Flats. Jack sees a rifle in the window and sneaks along a ledge into position and jumps through the window. But it's a decoy, and Jack finds himself staring at the barrel of a pistol. Jack flips a window shade, and bright sunlight fills the room, blinding Terhune. He fires his gun, grazing Jack. Just then, a dinosaur crashes through the door and clamps its jaws down over Terhune's head. It's Hermes, a juvenile Allosaurus Jack has raised from birth. Hermes whips its head to the side, and the body of Terhune flies through the window, crashing far below onto the dock in front of the council members and the ambassador. Jack makes his way down to the dock, where Hannah Dundee sarcastically asks if he always handles his business with such finesse. She then announces she'll be staying for a while in the hopes of building better relations and cooperation between their two cities. As she walks away, she and Jack try to discreetly look at each other, but when they make eye contact, both immediately stomp off in embarrassment. This is a perfect introduction to the world of Xenozoic Tales. You get all of the introductory information you need in a quick 12-page story. We meet the two main characters of Jack Tenrick and Hannah Dundee, and learn just enough about both of them for the stories ahead. Plus, we understand this is set in the distant future, after a great cataclysm, but somehow dinosaurs from the distant past have returned. It's an intriguing introduction to an intriguing series. We have two covers to discuss. The cover to the original black and white version features a scene of Jack and Hannah playing cards with three others when a dinosaur breaks through a brick wall. Hannah is just able to get out of the way, and even though he's surprised, Jack has managed to pull out his gun. The cover from the Epic Comics 1990 color reprint features Jack and Hannah in the Cadillac, racing from a giant T-Rex. The interior art features some nice page layouts, including page 2, as we see the news of the Wasoon ship spreading among different groups of people throughout the city. And my favorite pages from this particular story include the aerial views of the city on page 1, the distant image of Jack's garage on the nearby island on page 4, and the view of the harbor as Hannah's ship arrives on page 6 is another favorite. Superman, Blue Beetle, Captain Marvel, Firestorm, The Crimson Avenger, Batman, Halo, Guy Gardner, The Sandman, Shadow Lass, Dollman, The Star-Spangled Kid, The Flash, The Phantom Stranger, Power Girl, Hawkman, Fury, The Challengers of the Unknown, Nightwing, The Whip, Johnny Thunder, The Suicide Squad, Deadman, The Spectre, Warlord, Amazing Man, Our Man, Adam Strange, Doctor Occult, The Doom Patrol, Captain Comet, Green Lantern, Uncle Sam, The Guard, Batgirl, Dr. Mid Jonah Hex, Black Con, The Manhunter, The Guardians of the Florence, Blue Devil, Dr. Fate, The Legion of Super, The Secret Origins Podcast, covering every issue of DC's Secret Origins comic from the 1980s. Hosted by Ryan Daly and a multitude of guests from the podcast and blogging community. Secret Origins Podcast. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. The Opportunist, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Hannah is watching a fleet of small fishing boats in the harbor when she hears a siren blast from the roof of one of the city's highest towers. She asks Governor Nock what it means, and he points out to the fleet of ships that are quickly heading inland toward more shallow water, but it's too late as a giant mosasaur emerges from the sea, breaking one of the boats in half. Governor Nock drops his head in sorrow at the loss of life and explains it happens too often because they can't warn the fishing boats in time. 
Walking alone, Hannah Dundee notices a man intently watching the pteranodons above, and she introduces herself. He is Renfro, and he loves watching the flying Zeeks, as the local residents call them, and imagining being able to soar above the city. Just then a gunshot rings out, scaring the flying dinosaurs away. Renfro explains that most city residents consider the Zeeks to be scavenger pests, and they try to scare them from the city if they get too close. However, Hannah has a completely different idea, and asks Renfro if he can take her to the nearest colony. Renfro guides a small boat on the open sea until they reach the colony. Hannah opens a large barrel of fish that she has brought along and begins tossing fish into the air for the Zeeks to catch. She then has Renfro guide the boat back to the city as she continues to toss fish into the air, keeping a handful of Zeeks following them. Docking back in the city, Renfro runs up the stairs of one of the skyscrapers to the rooftop where Hannah has set aside another barrel of fish. He starts tossing the fish to the Zeeks until they begin to settle and nest on the roof of the building. The governor and council appear on site and demand to know why they've lured these parasites into the city, and he points to the harbor where the Zeeks are harassing the fishing fleet. Just then, Hannah notices the Zeeks turn and fly away from the fleet, and she calls out for them to sound the alarm. At the sound of the alarm, the fishing boats quickly turn back into the shallow waters of the harbor, just in time to avoid the mosasaur. Hannah explains that the Zeeks can sense danger long before humans can see danger, thus giving the fishing boats more time to make it to the safer shallow waters. Hannah gets her time in the limelight here with a story that clearly illustrates to the governing council just how she can help the city. Renfro makes a fun sidekick for the story with his daydreaming nature and willingness to do whatever Hannah says. The mosasaur is illustrated well. It is really frightening and the small fishing boats look fragile in comparison. I especially like the scenes of the fishing boats, and the colony of Zeke's was stunning. I also like the scene of the boat with Hannah and Renfro pulling up beside the skyscraper near the end of the story. It's a really moody-looking panel with lots of shadows and knotted roots climbing up the side of the building. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra... Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, 
we're not experts. We're just family. Law of the Land, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Our story opens in Jack Tenrick's garage. A convoy of trucks is preparing to depart. Jack will be their guide for the long trip to the Calhoun Mines, a trip that will take several days. Hannah Dundee is along for the ride as an observer. Several of the men have come armed with rifles, and Jack laughs as he points out that a charging dinosaur will ignore their puny guns and eat them, their guns, and their bullets. Then he pauses in front of Clough, who is carrying a seriously powerful rifle. Jack warns him that they only kill to survive on the trip. There will be no hunting for sport or profit. The first night they stop to camp, Clough sneaks off alone into the tall grass of the savanna. As he raises his rifle toward a horned dinosaur in the distance, Jack grabs him by the shoulder and says, Didn't I make myself clear? Clough doesn't understand why Jack wouldn't want to kill the creature since its horns are worth a small fortune. Back in camp, Hannah asks Kurigo what's up with Jack, and he explains that Jack considers himself a caretaker of the land and the animals. At camp the second night, Jack overhears gunshots and knows it will be Clough. Jack rushes into the forest and finds Clough standing over the dead carcasses of an adult dinosaur and two young juveniles. Jack punches him and tells him it's his last warning. Hannah is upset by the way Jack handles the situation, but Kurgo tries to explain that Jack really is a very fair man. At camp the next night, Hannah notices Jack near the rifles during dinner, but doesn't think anything of it. Early the next morning, everyone in camp is woken by a series of several gunshots. Jack and Hannah both grab rifles and race toward the sound, and find a giant cave bear standing over the mauled body of Clough. The bear turns into the forest, and Hannah rushes to check on Clough, but she finds he is already dead. She examines the many bullet casings laying on the ground near his body. Then she points to Jack and says, His gun was loaded with blanks, and you were near his gun last night. Why didn't you just shoot him yourself? Jack replies, I gave him a choice. I warned him. He made his choice. And Jack turns and walks away. Jack and Hannah are certainly getting off to a rough start in this story. The two definitely don't see eye to eye on how to deal with someone like Clough. From Kurgo's point of view, Jack is a caretaker, and another character in the story refers to Jack as a shaman. But Hannah isn't so easily convinced that Jack's methods are best. As for the art, the opening panel in the garage is great, with lots of details in the vehicles and machinery. The views of the savannah grasslands and the rocky terrains that the convoy passes on the trip are gorgeous, and I really enjoy the many nighttime scenes. The shading helped to create a dark and ominous feeling to the story, and the cave bear was very menacing and scary looking. I definitely wouldn't want to come anywhere near such a large and powerful creature. Let's talk a bit about who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean, while the city of Wasoon was Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who has learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. While he can be gruff at times, he is more respected by residents than the governors who run the city. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the city in the sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Hermes is a juvenile allosaurus, or cutter, that Jack raised after its mother was killed by poachers. Hermes can be vicious to others, but is gentle with Jack. 
Kurgo is an older friend of Jack's who's trying, without much success, to convince Hannah that Jack's heart is in the right place. Hey folks, and welcome to the Geek Brain Popcast. I am Jeff Messer. I am your host for all things geek each and every week. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on our main website, 880therevolution.com. That's where I work as a radio host five days a week. But I can't wait to get my geek on each and every week as we share stories from the world of geek. Movies, TV, comic books. Hey, you know, comic books. The source material. We have great discussions plus interviews. And I'm not ashamed to let people know that my geek flag is flying high. I'm very proud to be a geek. I'm a lifelong fan of comics, of science fiction. I'm a Star Wars kid. I'm a big, big fan of DC, Marvel, you name it. We cover everything you can think of and a little bit more. From The Walking Dead to Star Wars to Star Trek, Doctor Who, comic books, DC, Marvel, Batman, Superman, Iron Man, you name it, we cover it. And if you have any suggestions, please send them our way. Check us out on Facebook, the Geek Brain Popcast. You can comment there and follow our antics. Plus, tune in each and every week as we go deep into the geek right here at the Geek Brain Popcast, where geeks have finally inherited the earth. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. You can reach us at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help get the show noticed and hopefully attract more listeners. And please consider subscribing to the show so you always know when there's a new episode. If you like the show, please consider trying out our other podcast, Trekker Talk about sci-fi bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds, where we cover the comic creations of Mike Grell. In our opinions, these three creators are master storytellers and artists, and we're always happy to talk about their work and hear what others have to say. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Files is not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs, and Loops, Volume 2. Sound effects are taken from the albums Dinosaur Sound Effects, Amazing Sound Effects of Monsters and Dinosaurs, Weapons Sound Effects, and Ultimate Transportation Sound Effects. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. 